there's an old movie that, um, that I like a lot. It's called City Slickers. Maybe some of you have seen it, and there's a couple of reasons probably why I like that movie. One, it's filmed in a very beautiful place that I'm very familiar with. It's filmed out in New Mexico, so the vistas, I mean, are just beautiful. The other thing I love about that movie is it kind of touches on an issue that uh, people, men, uh, a lot of times deal with when they get toward midlife. And so Billy Crystal is this 39-year-old man. He's getting ready to turn 40, and so he's really struggling with the meaning of life. And so he decides to go on a trail ride with a number of his buddies out west to New Mexico to find out what life is really all about. And so Crystal, uh, at one point in the movie, uh, Crystal is having this conversation with, with Jack Palance. Jack Palance plays this old, crusty trail boss, and they're talking about life and struggles and all of that, and Jack Palance is talking about the experience he has had with young men just like Billy Crystal, And at one point, Palance looks at Billy Crystal and says, do you know what the secret of life is? And then Palance says, it's this. And Crystal says, what is it? Is it it your your finger? I mean, is is that the secret of life? What do you mean by this? And he says, no. He says, it's one thing. And he says, when you know what that one thing is, nothing else really matters. And of course, that begs the question. Crystal says, well, what is the one thing? And Palance smiles at him and says, well, son, that's for you to find out. So what is that one thing? What is that one thing that really matters? Well, this morning we're going to listen as the Apostle Paul in the passage that was read for you just a moment ago, Paul is going to tell us what that one thing is. If I were to summarize what this sermon is about today, I would say that it's this, figuring out the one thing that impacts everything. And so right in the middle of our scripture reading this morning, down in verse 13, Paul says this, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. So what is the one thing? And we'll discover that in just a moment. But here's what I think Paul wants for these Philippian Christians and for us. He wants to free us so we can get focused on that one thing. And so Paul says there are some things we need to forget. He says, forgetting what is behind. You see, in order to get free so we can really focus on that one thing, Paul wants us to forget some things. Certainly, Paul doesn't mean here that we need to forget everything in our past. But I believe if we're really going to get free to really live then we need to forget the bad things, first of all, the bad things done to us. Some of you right now might have a hard time living into the future and focusing on that one thing that God is calling you to do because of the bad things that happened to you in the past. When you get quiet and still, those bad things that maybe occurred in your life begin flooding back to you. Maybe it was a word that someone said, or maybe it was a series of words. 
spoken to you or maybe it was something that someone actually did to you maybe it was some abuse that you experienced i don't know what it is but there's something maybe in your past that you need to forget so you can move on to the future i once had a minister friend of mine who who had the uh experience of working in a church that was very unhealthy and frankly he worked with some leaders that were very unhealthy and because of that experience it really colored everything about his future ministry. Later on in his life, when he had the good fortune of, of working in a, a pretty healthy church with healthy leaders, he just couldn't get past some of the things that he experienced back there in that other church with those other leaders. And as a result of that, he was always suspicious and negative and distrustful. And as a result, his ministry couldn't thrive. His effectiveness was diminished because of the things that he experienced in the past. Some of you this morning might have a hard time in relationships because of past experiences. It might be because of an abusive parent, or, or maybe it was some other person close to you. And now you have a hard time feeling loved, and you have a difficult time expressing love to other people. Maybe you've experienced a bad marriage. You were married to a scoundrel, and now you have a hard time trusting anyone trusting that anyone could really love you. I heard someone say one time that in order to get past the past, you have to get through the past. You can't get over it. You can't get around it. No, you have to go through the past. And what that means is you can't run from it because it always follows you. You have to turn and face the past so that you can move forward. And for some of you in this room, Facing the past might mean you need to forgive someone back there. It, it doesn't mean that, that you're saying when you forgive that person what they did to you or said about you was good or right. It, it doesn't mean that you need to reconcile that past relationship, but it does mean you need to forgive. You need to let go. You need to understand that it's God who is the judge ultimately. It's not you. You don't have to judge. You don't have to think about that situation. You can forgive and then you can turn and move on to a brighter future. For others of you, it might mean, ultimately, that you need to find a good Christian counselor and spend time with that man or woman, working through those difficulties, those situations that affected you so deeply in the past. When we move through the past, then, friends, we can move on to a better future. So I think Paul this morning was saying we need to forget some things done to us. But I think Paul also, before we can get free, to really focus on that one thing, some of us might need to forget some of the things done through us. And this might be the most difficult of all. Meaning some of us, as we look at our lives and look at some of the things we've done and maybe even look at some of the damage we've done in the past in a relationship or to a person, it haunts us. And we have a difficult time experiencing freedom, the freedom we have in Christ, because we know what we've done. We know what we've said. And so we have difficulty moving forward. We have a hard time forgetting the bad things done through us. For some of you right now, as you think about those things, you think, well, I can never make it right back there. I can never undo the damage. And that might be 
Right. But you have to forgive yourself. And this might be, as I said, the most difficult thing of all. You know, as you read through the Scripture, you'll find that one of the ways that that Satan is defined, he's defined as an accuser. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, he's, he's called the accuser of our brothers who accuses, who stands before God accusing us day and night. Think for a moment about what the, what the devil does. He gets us into trouble and then he accuses us for being in trouble. And so let me ask you a question this morning. Have you confessed your sins? And someone this morning says, oh yes, hundreds of times. I mean, there's not a day that goes by that I don't replay what I did five years ago or ten years ago or maybe even twenty years ago. And I, I think about that all the time and I ask, God, would you forgive me? God, would you please forgive me for what I've done in the past? Well, here's the truth. If you've confessed it, God has forgiven it. So why are you still hanging on to it? Let me say that again. If you have confessed it, God has forgiven it. So why are you still hanging on to it? Some of you in this room have a hard time getting free and living into that, that Christian life because of things you've done in the past, things that were not right, things that did not bring glory to God, things that hurt someone else. But if you've, for, if you've confessed it, God has forgiven it. And now it might be time this morning for you to live into that freedom. Some of you this morning still feel extremely guilty. You know, there's such a thing as, as false guilt. And false guilt is this. It's when we still feel guilty, even though we've done our best to make it right, even though we've, we've confessed it to God, we've repented of that sin, we still feel guilty for it. And when we still feel guilt for that past sin, it's like we're saying, Lord, what you did on the cross was not enough. And so this morning, you need to trust that what Christ did for you is enough. Walk in that freedom. But here's the thing. Some of you have, have true guilt. Some are living in false guilt. They've, forgiven, they've, they've confessed their sin, and yet they still feel the heaviness of that guilt. But others are living in what's called true guilt. You feel guilty because, frankly, you are guilty. You feel guilty and you should feel guilty because you haven't repented of your sins. You haven't confessed Christ's name. You haven't been buried in, in, with Christ in baptism. And if that's you this morning, if you're feeling guilty, I hope that will move you to repentance. I hope that will move you to accept Christ the one who offers you freedom and life from all of that guilt and all of that sin. And so Paul says this morning that we need to forget some things that are behind. If we're going to um, get focused on the one thing, then we need to get free of some things. Paul wants us to get free. Free from the sin that maybe haunts us. And we can through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But once we've been freed, now we need to get, need to get focused. As we're talking about single-mindedness this morning, what's that one thing? Well, Paul says this in verse 12 of our scripture reading. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal. And of course, that begs the question, Paul, what's, what's the goal that you're talking about? Well, the goal that Paul is talking about is described in verses 7 through 11. 
His goal, quite simply, is this. It's to know Christ. That's the one thing. That's Paul's single-minded focus. That's his passion. That's Paul's pursuit. He did a lot of things because of that single-minded focus. Paul planted churches. Paul went on missionary journeys. Paul experienced persecution. Paul ultimately gave his life for that one goal of knowing Christ. Paul never got sidetracked. After he met Jesus on that road to Damascus, Jesus became the pursuit and the passion of his life. And so in the verses, verses 7 through 11, Paul writes, Whatever were gains to me in the past, I now consider loss for the sake of knowing Christ. And Paul had this incredible spiritual pedigree. He mentions that pedigree in the first half of Philippians chapter 3. But what is that? compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. In fact, Paul uses very strong language as he talks about all those things. If we trust in all of those things, our spiritual pedigree, Paul says, and one translation uses the word garbage. Paul says it's garbage. Other translations, I think when Ricky read a translation, it was, the word that was used there was the word rubbish. I didn't know Paul was British, by the way, did you? He said all of those things were rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. But do you know the, the actual Greek word there is the word skubala. And it's a much stronger word than rubbish or garbage. In fact, if I were to use the word in this sermon that, that more closely is translated from the Greek word skubala, you probably wouldn't be very happy with me today. So I'm not going to use that word. But Paul looks at all of that and he says... If you trust in those things, that's garbage. That's that's rubbish. It's refuse. I love the story one time I once heard about Harry Truman. And you know, Truman, when he was president, at times he used kind of salty language. And one time, Mr. President Truman was on the campaign trail and and he was talking about his opponent's platform. And he just as he described that platform, he described it as a I'm sure he used strong, you know, uh, in, in a forceful tone. He, he called his opponent's platform a pile of manure. Afterwards, a lady in attendance came up to Miss Truman, Bess, and she said, Bess, is there any way you could get the president to say fertilizer? Could you just get him to say a pile of fertilizer? It would just be better. And Mrs. Truman said, it's taken me years to get him to say manure. Manure is the nice word for scubala. Many of the things Paul mentions in that list in Philippians chapter 3, by the way, are good things. Some of them are good things. But when, and, and by the way, some of the things on your list, if you come up with a list of here's my spiritual heritage, here are the things that I mean that are just great and things I've done spiritually, can be good things. But if we place our confidence in those things, well, I've been baptized right. I go to the right church. We got a lot of things right. If we place our confidence in that, Paul calls that scubala. Paul said, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Everything, 
I would describe it like this. To gain everything and not have Christ is to have nothing. To have everything. To lose everything and to gain Christ is to have everything. Paul says, I want one thing. I want to know Christ. That's my focus. I don't want to merely know about him. I want to know him. I want a relationship with him. By the time Paul wrote the book of Philippians, he'd been a Christian for something like 10 years. He'd gone on mission journeys. He's now in prison. He's written books of the Bible. He wasn't a new Christian. He'd done a lot of things. And yet he still wants to know Christ more, more intimately, more deeply. That was the pursuit of his life. Think about this. Paul, who has known Christ, has been fully devoted to him, realizes there's always more of Christ to know. There's always more of Jesus to experience and to discover. And when we experience more of Christ, we experience more transformation. When we come to know Jesus in a more deeper way, we experience more of his power in, in his life, in our lives. The power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in us who believe, Paul would say in the book of Ephesians. So whether you've been a Christ follower for five months or five years or 50 years, there's always more of Christ to know. Coming to know Christ and knowing Christ is like drinking from this ever-flowing fountain. You drink and you drink and you drink and you're satisfied and there's this never-ending flow and so Paul says I want to know Christ and to know his power I want to know everything about him I want to be so deeply connected that even if I experience persecution in that way I'll draw closer to him even yet even still closer young preacher once was working hard on his sermon it was a it was a Saturday night, and he was up at the church working on this message. And he wasn't alone. The, the janitor, this older gentleman, had been the janitor at this church for 30, 40 years, hung around the church a long time. Janitor was there, and he was working hard to make sure the church building looked just right next Sunday, for, the, for that Sunday morning. I mean, he was scrubbing the floors and cleaning up and tidying up. And... And the preacher was working on this sermon from Psalm 23. You know, Psalm 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's a, it's a passage that we use a lot of times in weddings and sometimes in funerals. And the, the gender noticed that the preacher was really struggling with the sermon. That, that it was, wasn't coming easy for him. And so the janitor approached him and said, Is there anything I can do to help you prepare? And the young preacher politely declined, and he thought to himself, what can this old man teach me that I already don't know? About an hour passed, the janitor returned, and, and he could see that he was really struggling. And by this time, the preacher was really tired. He's ready to go home, hadn't made a lot of progress on his sermon for the next day. And so this time, the janitor was a little bit more insistent and the janitor said, Preacher, if you don't mind, I'd really like to help you prepare your sermon on Psalm 23. And so the preacher says, Why is it that you want to help me? Is there something that I don't know? 
And the janitor said, well, yes, there is. You see, preacher, you know the psalm, but I know the shepherd. You may know the scripture, but do you know the Christ? Do you know the shepherd? Oh, Paul knew the scripture. He had this amazing spiritual heritage, but his heart was far from God, and that led him down a dead-end road. And so Paul traded up. Paul traded his self-righteousness for a righteousness that comes only by knowing Christ. And Jesus became his passion. Friends, if you come to know Jesus, he will free you from your past, from the things done to you, and, and also from the things done through you. He will, he will free you from that. And then your focus, your single-minded focus will become the same as that of Paul's who said, I want to know Christ. Christ.